We've been uh, hopefully enjoying our trip through the, with the Israelites to the promised land from all the way back from Adam and Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all the way to Moses. We've gotten past the point where they got to the promised land, said no, and God said another generation will go in. Many will see that and say, you know, God, that, that sounds harsh. But the truth of the matter is God wanted them to go in. They didn't want to. But the mercy of God was so great that rather than wiping them out and saying, I'll start over. <laughs> he could have, right? He only had to keep one of them alive and he would have still kept his covenant with Abraham. But instead he kept them all alive and said, your kids get to go in. We mentioned this before, but it is the nature of the curse that kids pay for their parents' mistake. It is the nature of the blessing of God through Jesus Christ that we get through him a new name, a new family, and a fresh start. Because here's the deal, that the Bible tells us that the Israelites said, you know, we're not going in. Our kids would be their prey. If, If we went in, they would kill our kids. That's what they said. They doomed their own children with their words. And God said, no, your kids will inherit the land. When Jesus was being crucified and being sentenced to death, the Jewish people in Jerusalem yelled out, let his blood be on our heads and the heads of our children. God could have held them to that, but he didn't. It's no coincidence that on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, in the very same city where they yelled that, Peter said, the promise is for you and for your children too. God turned around. They cursed their own kids, but God turned it around and said, the blessing can be on you and your kids. God talks about a time. He talks about in the Old Testament. He said, there's a day where you said, we drank sour wine and our children's teeth were on edge. Our children are paying for what we did. But he said there will be a day when that won't be the case. And of course, Jesus drank that sour wine. He drank that for us, that curse for us. So we say, well, the curse of the the sins of the fathers are visited upon the children. That is not a new covenant um, answer. It's not a new covenant reality. Truth of the matter is we are new in Christ. We're a new creation in Christ. I understand the concept of generational curses, but you got to know this. When you stepped into the family of God, you got a new name. You changed. You changed, didn't you? So many people are so worried about all this curse on my family for years and years. Listen, I know what it's like to say, you know, we learned this from our parents and our parents learned it and we got to break this. I understand that. But if you're worried about some sort of spiritual curse on your family, you've got to know that the blessing of God, you became part of the family of God, the seed of Abraham, the blessing of God on you is greater than any curse you could dream up. You've got to believe that. You've got to see yourself as a new creation. You're not the product of your parents anymore. You still think that way. We still have a mind that is shaped by our experiences and our upbringing, but your spirit is made brand new. And the Bible says it's, being, it's been recreated in the likeness of him in all holiness and truth. So that's who you are. That's your identity in Christ. So seize that. But even in the old covenant, God could have punished the kids severely, and he didn't. That shows the mercy of God, right? We understand when we're reading these stories, we got to understand we're looking through the lens. We're looking on this side of the cross to that side of the cross. And we're seeing forms and shadows. So when they sacrifice an animal, we understand that that was an incomplete version of what Jesus would do. It's good to see it because the Bible says it happened to them as an example for us. 
We should learn something from it. But you also have to understand there are differences here that we can see and say, look, look at the mercy of God. The Bible says they found grace in the wilderness. They found grace there. But even looking at that, saying how much greater now on this side of the covenant, on this new covenant, can we stand and say, we know who we are. We know what we're called to. We know that our God is a God of mercy, of love. We know that our God has not just simply said, I don't care what you do. On the contrary, our sin did not lose its, its gravity because it was gravely punished in Jesus Christ, right? It's not that God suddenly said, well, I don't care that much anymore. He cared. It mattered enough for Jesus to die. It mattered enough for Jesus to die a brutal death. So God didn't suddenly become okay with sin. Sin was punished. And it was punished severely in Jesus Christ. So we look back and say, thank God for the mercy of God. Because I could have been one of the number, like these guys that died in the wilderness, easily. Easily. I could have picked the wrong side. I could have been so scared I didn't want to obey God and rebelled against him. I could have done that. But thank God. Thank God that Jesus saved us. Amen. Let's dig into this. I want you to turn to the book of Psalms because we're going to go in a bit of a different direction tonight. Um. A lot of times when people say, let's dig deep, most of the time what we mean is um, we're going to dig deeper, maybe you have to think harder, maybe you're going to have to think more spiritually. But there are times when we dig deep in our own, our own soul, our own heart, and see what's there. And uh, this is a bit of a different direction because I don't, I don't think tonight's as much teaching as, as maybe we normally do on a Wednesday night, I think tonight I want to reflect on some things that Moses says here. This is the one psalm in the book of Psalms that's written by Moses. And it's written probably when he's a pretty old guy. The timeline, if you look at it, Psalm 90 doesn't happen right after the promised land. It happens later down the list. <clears throat> probably not long before he dies. And Psalm 90 may not seem to you at first like a happy psalm, but I think it's a deep psalm, and I think it's a good psalm, and I think it's something that we can learn from, and I want, to, I want you to see where Moses' heart is. You know, Moses, he cultivated a level of intimacy with God that most people in his time did not have. He was called a friend of God. That's an amazing thought, a friend of God. He was so ambitious for the presence of God that he asked, Lord, can I see your glory? Can you let me experience it? The beauty of this is that what you, ex- what you have the right to experience because of the blood of Jesus is greater than what Moses was able to experience. Moses was able to see the trail of God, the backside of God, and hide behind a, hide behind a rock so he couldn't see God's face. We now, in the new covenant, could come into the very presence, the very throne room of God. That's an amazing thought. But Moses spent time, and there's not too many people in the Bible that God says, this is my friend. This is someone I like to talk to. The Bible says God spoke to Moses face to face as a man does his friend. You know, God spoke differently to Moses, and Moses spoke differently to God than most people would have had a right to speak to him. Moses, one of, his, one of the things we overlook so often, we, we see him as a leader. Maybe, some, maybe when you hear Moses, you think of the, the giving of the commandments. But one of the things I think of when I see Moses is, is an intercessor. I believe that every leader should be an intercessor. Someone that stands for the people and stands for God. 
And Moses was one of these people that was constantly the brunt of people's rebellion. When people were mad at God, they wanted to kill Moses, right? Like, that's not fair, but that's the way it went down. Every time they were mad at God, every time they were disappointed, discouraged, they try to kill Moses. And guess who goes to God and says, give him a second chance? It's Moses. I've said this before. This is my personal view on this. You can have your view. This is my personal view. I believe every time God pleaded with, uh, Moses pleaded with God, don't kill them. And God said, I will. And Moses said, don't do it. I believe God knew. I mean, God is eternal. He's outside time. I believe God knew fully that Moses would intercede. I believe God knew fully that he wouldn't wipe those people out. God had seen it since the beginning. But I think God wanted Moses to be able to stand in that place and stand for the people. I think it was important that Moses took that stand for the people. I learned something from that. If you, any of you, whatever area of leadership God places you in, you should be able to have his heart for the people that he's put in front of you. Be an intercessor. We, we see intercessors as just somebody that prays a lot. And, and I agree, but... Really, an intercessor is somebody that's, that, that stands for someone else. You know, the Bible says, let the strong bear the burdens of the weak. There are times where someone needs someone fighting for them. Someone needs someone holding them up in prayer. And uh, as we come to Psalm 90, I just want to say, here's the introduction. that that's, that's not your Bible that put that in there. It's not a modern translator that put that in there. That's the, in the original Hebrew. This is the, the subtitle, Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. That's how he was seen, was the man of God. Let's just set the stage. One thing that you may not think about Moses was that, I almost called him Momo. That's, that's our Moses. <laughs> me, and, me and Bible Moses don't have the same relationship, so... <laughs> I almost said Mo and then Momo. I tried to fix it. It's Moses, all right? Let me have some respect. Um, one thing you might not think about Moses, uh, we, we don't really reflect on too much, was that he was one of the last of that generation to die. Uh, the Bible tells us it wasn't long after he died that Joshua rose up and took the people in to the promised land. And so Moses, remember God said over 40 years, this generation will die in the wilderness. Well, some died right away. Some died over time. Some died, I mean, like, it wasn't all at once they died. It was over a period of 40 years they died out and their kid, until the next generation was ready to go. That's 40 years. But think about this. If you're the last guy to go, you have to watch all these people die. Now, sometimes it was like thousands of people at one time. Sometimes it was just, you know, somebody got old. And every morning, Moses is getting his reports from his leaders, what's going on in the camp. And in with those reports are the people that died, people that went on. You know, I remember my grandma, she would, Meemaw would get the Texarkana Gazette out at the, at the table, and she flipped straight to the obituaries. And it was just the weirdest thing, because I've never done that. But she'd flip, because you get to a certain age, and you go, well, let's see who's, who's see if I know anybody here. Right? I hope you guys aren't there yet. I mean, let, but if you are, bless the Lord. You know, I, I believe that it's good to remember a good life, a life well lived, isn't it? A life that honored God. It's good to remember that. And thank God uh, we now look at death differently because we're, we're in Christ. We don't see death as the end, right? It's just the beginning of so much. I love the verse in, in that Paul says to Timothy. He says that God brought to light life and immortality through the gospel. Life and immortality have been brought to light through the gospel. 
so we look at life differently. It's immortality, so we don't sorrow as those who have no hope. So what we see here is Moses, I I believe it's a product of two things. I believe it's a product of the wisdom that he's gained from walking through life, seeing people come and go, living to an old ripe age. And I believe it's also a product, this psalm is also a product of the intimacy he's achieved with God. He's gained a wisdom from his time with God. You know, the more you spend time with God, the less time matters. It matters more and it matters less, if that makes sense. Do you know what I'm saying? You become more aware of the eternal and the temporary nature of this present age. But at the same time, it gives an urgency to this brief moment of time that you have. You're more aware of the, of the, of the importance of the eternal. You're more aware of the, the preeminence and the reality of the eternal. But it makes this bit right here that we're living in matter so much more. The people I know that have, have really developed an intimate, long-standing, over, over decades relationship with God, they have a peace that this will turn out well. But they also have an urgency that their time here matters. And it's an interesting combo because they seem to be more aware of the, of the, of the fading nature of time and the fact that we're, we're, we're storing up for eternity. And they also have a sense of urgency that redeeming the time because the days are evil. Psalm 90, and let's just go ahead and read it. Moses says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and to the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So we just got hit with an eternity bomb right here. This is huge. He says, you've been our dwelling place before the mountains were born. What does that mean? That means God carried humanity within himself before anything was created. He knew us before the earth was even formed. Moses is speaking to the eternal nature of God from everlasting, which means as far back as you could. I mean, it never ends. Go back and you never, and never stop. Go forward and never stop. That's God. And all that time, we've been in you. You've been our dwelling place. That's an amazing thought. Before we were conscious enough to realize that God carried us in him. And he says this, you turn man back into dust. And you say, return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by. Isn't that amazing? Do you know, people turning back into dust is not a bad thing. That's just your body. That's where it came from. This is God's eternal purpose. I mean, I don't mean to get all Lion King on you, but there's a circle here. This is, you know, it goes back into the very ground that feeds us. That's an amazing thought. And yet our spirits are not as fading as that body. He said, a thousand years in your sight are just like yesterday when it passes by or as a watch in the night. You have swept them away like a flood. They fall asleep. In the morning, they're like grass which sprouts anew. In the morning, it flourishes and it sprouts anew. Toward evening, it fades and withers away. Now he begins to speak about his people. Remember his people, his buddies that he came out of Egypt with. They gave him so much grief, but he still loved them. And he talks about the fact that they rejected God's plan. And so they faced the consequence of it. He says, we've 
been consumed by your anger, by your wrath. We've been dismayed. You've placed our iniquities before you. Only, he said, our secret sins were in the light of your presence for all our days have declined in your fury. We finished our years like a sigh. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it's gone and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger, your fury, according to the fear that is due you? So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Now, that's an interesting thought. I don't like to sing a lot of songs about that. We don't have songs like that, really. But what's Moses talking about? Moses is not talking about God losing his temper. He's talking about the just response to the rebellion. And he's saying, this is what we're facing. We couldn't hide it. It's in front. Now, Moses, more than anybody, understood the mercy of God as well. And he drifts into this in a minute. But I think he's first coming with a humble heart saying, God, you knew our flaws. You knew who we were. You knew what we messed up on. You knew how, what we did wrong. You knew we forsook you. We rebelled. And, and, and this is an amazing thing because Moses, as far as I can tell, only did a couple of things that really stood out as, as, as no-nos. For the most part, his heart was right. You know, yeah, he struck the rock when he shouldn't have. Yeah, he probably shouldn't have handled that Egyptian slave master like he did, but he probably shouldn't have argued with God when God said, I've chosen you. He was a good man, though. But what's he doing? He's identifying with his people. He sees himself in a priestly role of identifying with his people, once again, interceding for them. And his first step of interceding is just like a sinner who comes to God, just like a sinner who comes to Jesus for the first time. What do they have to acknowledge first? What is one of the first things? Well, I'm not saying they have to acknowledge this part of a prayer. But one of the first things you're aware of is my need for a Savior. Right? You know you need a Savior. You know you need a Savior. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that we have to hammer anybody over the head with that. There's an awareness. Oh, I need a Savior. And God brings that awareness to you so that you don't, say, you don't hold on to your own righteousness. Because your own righteousness is not going to get you there. So there's an awareness of God. Oh, wow, I needed it. And Moses is laying out the case of here's why we need your mercy. Because we justly deserved your wrath. He's going to ask for that mercy in a minute, but he's first humbling himself and saying, this is why I'm saying this. I know where we're coming from. I know what these people did. He said, but teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. I want you to remember that. We're going to go back to that thought. Do not return, O Lord, how long will, or do return, O Lord, how long will it be? Be sorry for your servants. O satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days you've afflicted us. In other words, he's saying as many years as we've had facing the consequences for our actions, can we have just as many years of, ha of happiness and gladness? Now, here's a question I need you to ask yourself. And that is, is Moses praying out his will or God's will here? See, Moses was a friend of God. And the Psalms are so many, so many times they start out from our own humanity and they drift into prophetic thought. So David says, you know, he starts out saying, life stinks, I hate this, why are you doing this? And then he drifts towards a place where he feels God's heart and he hears God's heart. And he begins to speak things out of his spirit, not just his soul. 
So he starts out saying, this stinks. The wicked are prospering. We're not doing well. Why is that? Then he says, and then I came into your sanctuary and I saw what you saw. I perceived their end. Surely you've set them on a slippery place. Surely you're upholding us. There's even times where he says, you know, my best friends betrayed me. People are against me. And, and, and before long, he's not just talking about himself, but be, he begins to identify with Jesus on the cross. That's an amazing thing. So you see this in the Psalms, how there's a mixture of our own human emotion. And then at some point, God's thoughts and God's heart. Moses comes before God and he's completely honest about what they've done. But I believe when he begins to ask for the mercy of God, when he begins to say, God, satisfy us with gladness, I believe that is the heart of what God wanted for them. I believe he's praying out exactly what God wants. He's not asking something that God's not willing to give. He's not having to convince God. He is simply praying out the heart of God. And he says this, make us glad according to the days you've afflicted us and the years we've seen evil. You can imagine when he starts talking about all our days we've drifted like a sigh. We faded like the dust. You can imagine how he must have felt seeing his friends, his co-laborers, his brothers die off one by one. And the reality of the fact that he's realizing as an old man that this is this is temporary. This is nothing. When you're young, you think you've got forever. He's reached a point where he realizes this isn't, I've watched everybody die. And that, that, that sounds tragic, but there's wisdom gained. You know, the book of Ecclesiastes is one of the most confusing books in the world, right? You read it, and you're like, what's the point of this? But you see a man who says, I searched all my life for some things, and I realized they're nothing. He said, I, I chased these things all my life, and I realized it's not worth chasing. It's like chasing after the wind. He says, you know what? I've learned the only thing that matters is to know God. You know, I've talked to some wonderful, wonderful elderly people near heaven to that point where they know they're going soon. And it's so cool to listen to their heart and, and just listen to them tell you what matters in life. And they never say, you know, I wish I'd watch more TV. They never say, I wish I'd spent more time at my job. They, you know, there are things that matter to these people getting close to heaven. They say, no, God, tell more people about Jesus. Love people. There's such a heart of wisdom that comes from seeing it from that, that, that close. You feel the pull of eternity. And Moses is seeing this. And he prays out of his heart and he says, God, restore our joy. Restore our gladness. And God is about to do just that. Because the kids of these rebels are being restored to their inheritance. The kids of these rebels are being restored to a land of milk and honey, to vineyards they did not plant, to wells they did not dig. They're going to experience the magnificent mercy and grace of God. Let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to your children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm for us the work of our hands. 
Yes, confirm the work of our hands. You know, in the Hebrew, whenever something is said twice, there is a significance, a great significance to it. It's not just poetry. When you look this up in the original language, the meaning here of confirm the work of our hands, it might say it, actually it might even say it in, your, in, in the column of your Bible, but it is to make permanent the work of our hands. You see what he's saying? He's realizing that life is fading. This is like a breath. This is like dust. We're like grass, he's, as the prophet said. All flesh is like grass. It's glory like the flower of the field. It's there one day, it's gone the next. And, and what Moses is experiencing is the reality of the eternal. And so he's saying, my flesh is going to fade like everybody else's. Though his eyes remained strong, though his strength was strong, still God brought him to a place where he saw the promised land. And then he saw the last day of his life. He knew that day was coming. And here's what he's saying. God, we're fading, but don't let our work fade. Don't let what we've done here fade. I know that this is an old covenant man, but it's, a, it's, it's also a, a human thought that stretches into the new covenant. Because all throughout the new covenant, Jesus is saying, don't waste your time on stuff that won't last. There's eternal things to think about. In the New Covenant, as, as the apostles write their epistles, they say things like this, like, don't, don't labor, don't spend your time on, on buildings that won't stand the test, and you'll be left holding nothing. But think about eternity. The apostle Paul said to the Corinthian church, in fact, I'll read it to you. He says in 2 Corinthians 4, Therefore, we do not lose heart, 2 Corinthians 4, 16. We don't lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, this is what Moses is feeling, the decaying of the outer man. Though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Think about that. I once sat across an elder in the faith, and I said, I don't get... I said, I want to get it, but I don't get why Paul keeps talking about how wonderful this new body is going to be. Seems like, he's, like he really, really can't wait to have this new body. And this elder looked back at me and said, that's because you're young and your body still works like you want it to. <laughs> like you could eat Tupperware and, and you'd be fine, right? Like there's, <laughs> that was a few years back, but you know, I still... He said, our outer mind, we're, we're aware that the outer man is decaying. Now, thank God, we, we have a, a healing Savior, <laughs> praise God, where, where we experience what's the resurrection life on the inside is affecting our outside. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? That we're healed and that we're, that we're revived and renewed, that Moses was able to die without crumpling into a withered old man, like he, his eyes were just as clear and his strength was there. But even then, you know you're not getting younger. That's not how it works. But as your body gets older and moves towards decay, your inner man is being renewed day by day. I love that. That tells me that you should not judge somebody's energy for the kingdom of God or what they can do for the kingdom of God based on looking at their body and saying, oh, they can't do much more. They're tired. Because our inner man is being renewed. It's being revived. It's being woken up. If, 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 I mean, this is the promise to his people that that, that spirit does not grow old and decay. It, it's, it's in a new creation reality. Our bodies are still under a degree of the curse. You understand what I mean? 
we live in a world that's still under the curse. So, so entropy takes place. Things get worse. No matter what you believe about evolution, you, can, you leave a car sitting out for 100 years, it doesn't get cooler. Sitting out in your yard, it doesn't become a better car. It rusts, it decays. Everything around us rusts, decays, gets worse, unless we intervene. Our bodies, they go through a stage of getting, young, uh, getting, getting more mature and stronger, and then they hit a point where they decay. But our spirit does not hit that point. It's being renewed day by day. Your spirit is part of eternity. Your spirit is alive in Christ Jesus. Your spirit is experiencing what your body will experience when you get that new body. Your spirit is experiencing what Adam and Eve felt before the curse came. Day by day renewed. Not getting older, but feeling renewed every day, revived every day. Why does that matter? That matters because that's where we get our life from. That's where our joy comes from. That's where all the fruit comes from. He says this, our inner man is being renewed day by day in verse 17. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal or temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That's a huge thought. See, the Apostle Paul had to deal with stuff that most of us haven't had to deal with. He had to... He had to go through some stuff to preach the gospel that, that we would think is, is extraordinary, is, is you know, not expected of anybody. But he's saying, guys, here's how I get through all that stuff. All that stuff I've had to put up with, people putting me in prison, people beating me, a couple times they try to kill me. He said, that's temporary. Because it's temporary, it's light. Look at the comparison. There's temporary on one side, there's eternal on the other. He says, temporary, light. He says, eternal weight. This is, I believe, the perspective of somebody that begins to grasp the eternal. Begins to, you know, this is what happens with intimacy with God. This is what happens with wisdom as you live out. Is you, you, you hear what, what Moses says, teach us to number our days that we may return to you a heart of wisdom. What's he saying? Wisdom comes from being aware of, of the fleeting, temporary nature of what we can see and feel. Wisdom comes from knowing this stuff doesn't last forever. What does? What lasts forever? That's what we should put our value on. The things that are seen are temporary. The things that are unseen are eternal. Here's the good news, guys. Moses prayed this, and he said it twice. Confirm the works of our hands. Don't let what I spent my life doing be Die with me. Don't let what I spend my life doing fade away like my body's going to fade away. Let it last. And here's the good news for you. What you do can last. What you do can stand the test of eternity when it's built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 3 says it very clearly. Paints a picture for us. Paints a picture of some who will stand up on, on that great day now, he's not talking about the great white throne judgment. He's talking about a day of accountability. It's a different judgment. It's where we're giving account for what we've done. This is, not, this is not the great white throne where you're judged righteous or not righteous. This is a different judgment altogether. Where he stands you up and says, what have you done? 
And the Bible says that there will be those that stand before the king and everything they've done was burned up. And it says they themselves, here's good news, they themselves will be saved as though through fire. So God, God still saved them. They're going to heaven. Praise the Lord. They're not going to hell. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But they got nothing to show. They're still going to be rejoicing, but there's also some, there's also a sense of, wow, it could have done more, right? Like there's, they're saved as though through fire, which means that close, you know, but they're saved. Praise the Lord. But their work is burned up. Why? It says because they built it on the wrong foundation and they built with cheap materials. Cheap materials go up fast and they go up big, but it doesn't matter. You know, I don't believe the test of fire is something that happens on judgment day. I believe it's something that happens throughout this life. Stuff tests you. Stuff tests your, your work, right? The, Jesus talked about it. He said building your house, whether you're building it on the sand or building it on the rock. What did he tell you? We always focus on the house on the sand, but focus on the house on the rock for a minute. It stood. There was nothing that could be thrown at it that destroyed it. Right? Isn't that good news? We're always like, I don't know, but the house on the sand crumbled. Praise the Lord. Don't build your house on the sand. What about the house on the rock? You don't have to be afraid of storms because there's not a storm that can knock that house down. In the same sense, Jesus talks about those that will be left with nothing because their work burned up. But look at it on the flip side. If you've built your life and the work of your life on the foundation of Christ and who he is and you've done it by faith and guys, even fire itself can't destroy your work. It'll last. Paul talked about crowns and wreaths and rewards. And that matters. It's not like a big reset button is hit. You know? Like when this world is rolled up like a scroll, there's not a reset button like the old Nintendo, and, and, and it just starts over again. It, what we've done here carries it into there. And Moses' great prayer is that all I've done won't end here. Confirm, make permanent what we've done here. Let the works of our hands keep going. Jesus talked about this over and over again. Don't waste your time on stuff that's just going to be destroyed. Invest in eternal things. Paul says it here. What does he say? We fix our eyes on the things that are eternal. We fix our eyes on eternal things. That means that you, this is where wisdom comes from. Number your days. Understand this is quickly done. But there is something that will last forever. And you're a part of it. It's the kingdom of God that's not shaken, that's not moved. You get to be a part of that. And when we invest in the kingdom of God, it's eternal. The work of your hand is confirmed. That's good news for me. I'm only, I'm going to turn 34 on, on Monday, on Thanksgiving. So I'm still on the young end of my life probably. Right? Yeah. I'm, not even, I'm not even at midway. So I got a long way to go. But I'd rather learn now that it matters what I do with these years I have. I don't want to get to the point where I'm the old man in Ecclesiastes, the old Solomon who says, boy, I wish I knew this when I was young. I want to know it now. I, I, I want to know now. Teach, teach me, oh God, 
to number my days that I might present to you a heart of wisdom. Teach me to be aware that this is not everything, that there is something eternal taking place, and I'm a part of that. Remember this. The psalm started out this way. Oh, God, you've been our dwelling place before the mountains were formed, before the earth was created, from everlasting to everlasting. And here's the point. When I realize I'm part of God's eternal existence, I'm part of eternity, I'm part of his eternal plan, I start thinking about things beyond like, what are we going to do next weekend? And you start saying, God, what is your mission here? What am I part of? Because I'm part of something that extends way past these, you know, 70 to 120 or whatever years you last. I'm part of something way bigger than that. Hebrews talks about it like a race. We always say, did you run your race? Did you finish your course? Right? Because Paul said that, I finished my course. But really, in reality, it's not a separate race that he's running. Because the book of Hebrews says, we're running a race. And then we look and we see there's a crowd, a cloud of witnesses. And they're, they're saying to us, our race isn't done until you finish yours. Which tells us we're not all running different races. We're running one giant relay race. And we're playing a part. I'm finishing what Abraham started. You're finishing something. You're being a part of something. We may very well be the last runners in the race. It matters. What we're doing here matters. It'll matter for eternity. When this dies, this'll matter, guys. Every person you love out there, every person you love in here, that's going to matter. That's the eternal stuff. What does the Bible say? When everything else passes away, even when we don't need prophecy anymore. Why, don't we need, why won't we need prophecy? Because when we get there, we'll know stuff. Why won't we need tongues? Because we'll already be spiritual like that. We will, we'll know this stuff. We won't have to, we won't have, the mind won't have to be unfruitful so the spirit can pray out the perfect will of God. We'll know the will of God. We're not there yet. Thank you. We still need prophecy. We still need tongues. But what does he say, even when all that fades away, what will be there? Love. There's eternal stuff that we build our lives on. Are we building our day-to-day on that? Is that a question you're asking? Now, listen, I don't want you to get up all every day and just get super, like, emo and poetic about it and be like, man, you know, did you have a good day today? I don't know, but I know this. My flesh is like grass. I'm going to die. You know, don't get all weird like that, but... But what if we approached each day saying, all right, I know what I got to do. I got to go to my job. I got to eat. These are all very practical things. But what if we approached the week, the days, the years, and said, what am I doing today that affects eternity? What am I doing today that'll keep going when I die? Don't sell yourself short. So many times we say, well, I was... I prayed with that person at Tim Hortons. I don't think that's a big deal. It is. It's probably a lot bigger than the businesses you build. Amen. It's a lot bigger than, the, than the, <laughs> the money you make and the things you write. It's going to matter. It's going to matter. Invest in the eternal reality. Invest in that because that's, you're going to be withdrawing from that account long after your body dies. That's what's going to remain. That's what's going to last. I believe that I get the privilege of being with a bunch of people who on that day when the Lord says, where's your work? 
you'll be a group of people that say, here it is, Lord. It stood the test of fire. It stood the test of time because it was built on Jesus. It was on his foundation with his materials. I, all, I, I know you're all saved. Thank God. Amen. <laughs> amen. Yeah, that should get an amen. Thank God. But I, I, I don't believe, it's my hope and prayer. And I believe this. I don't believe anybody here if we really believe what we say we believe, nobody here is going to have to stand there and say, I'm saved, but gee, nothing else I did was. Thank God. There's going to be a group of people who stand before the Lord and he says, you didn't think that mattered. You didn't think it was important, but I did. You didn't think that that was a significant thing, but you did that in my name. And because you did that in my name, it endured long after you were gone and it stretched and connected to something long before you were born. We're harvesting seeds people planted 200 years ago. We're part of something bigger. Teach us to number our days, God, that we may return to you a heart of wisdom. Moses was given the honor and the privilege standing on a mountain and looking over and seeing the promised land. I used to think when I was a kid that that might have been a hard thing for him, right? Like, I just want you to see what you're missing. But I don't think that's the case. I think he looked there and felt happiness and gladness. This is what I spent my life trying to get the people to, is this place. This is the promised land that God promised me, and they're here. They're on the edge of it. They're right here. They're going to go in. I believe he rejoiced in that. <laughs> now, how he died is another question. Did God push him off? I don't know. <laughs> I know that an angel, I know that angel and a demon fought over his body. That's a sermon we're not going to get into. <laughs> but I know this. At the end of your life, I want you to be able to say, God, you've confirmed the work of my hands. What I did is going to last. Please don't wait until you're 99 before you start asking the questions of eternity, ask them now. Begin to invest now. As many years as you've got left, invest now in eternity. That's the heart of wisdom. Amen? Let's pray. Stand with me.